Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week is Steve Kornick of the Night Bike Guide Service in North Central Wisconsin. And just like the guide service is named, this conversation is about the night bite. We're talking about spring walleye fishing after dark with one of Steve's favorite techniques to target them. And it's a very nuancy conversation. There's just a lot of good technical information in this that we can all take away from. But I definitely want to note that, uh, you know, after this conversation with Steve, I took a lot away from this. This was very, very fun, very fun conversation. And definitely uh, fishing after dark is something that I don't have nearly enough experience with. And I'm realizing more and more that those opportunities are under our nose everywhere. I mean, across the Midwest in the spring, there are there are times a year there there's there's patterns that are happening at night and we're all sleeping and that's fine you know I, I imagine that we can't all just become night anglers that uh, you know our sleep schedules our daily life isn't going to allow that but there are opportunities to fish at night that I think are a high value especially you know learning as anglers and getting better as anglers maybe not just uh, you know with the normal conversations of, of, of electronics, you know, or looking at, you know, studying maps and finding spots like fishing after dark challenge you challenges us as anglers in totally different ways. You know, talking about breaking down your system and your efficiencies and your organization and all the considerations that you are basically forced to consider when you're fishing at night, you know, even if it's just boat safety and just, you know, how you operate in the boat. And, you know, to learn and sharpen those skills, I feel like you definitely grow as an angler. It's definitely a skill set, a very valuable skill set that you could take anywhere that you fish whatsoever. It's like understanding the efficiencies uh, and organization in your total process in the boat to be an effective angler at night. Keeping your lines in the water and, and just fishing effectively is the type of fishing that, uh, you know, when you turn the lights on, you're just that much better. And those are the opportunities that we're talking about in this podcast that I feel like are right under our noses. And for those of us that maybe think we're, you know, above average anglers on our home lake during the day, there's a real opportunity for you to challenge yourself if you fish after dark and try to figure that out. In a lot of, on a lot of lakes, when there's a good night bite going on, especially in the spring, it's a big fish deal. And uh, this is how you might be able to unlock the code or put the pieces to the puzzle together, so to speak, of the big fish in your home body of water. So anyways, that's the intro. This is Steve's first time on, so it's really fun to get to know him in this podcast. Steve Kornick, Night Bite Guide Service. We're talking spring, nighttime walleyes. Great conversation. Let's get into the interview. This episode of the JML Podcast is brought to you by Northeast South Dakota's Glacial Lakes region. Head to sdglacialakes.com for all kinds of information on the fishing opportunities in that area. Link is in the description of this podcast. Let's get into the interview. Get to know kind of who you are. Go ahead. All right. Okay. Hey, thanks, Taylor, for this invite. Um, So my background is I grew up in the Waukesha area, not too far from Pewaukee. And so growing up as a kid, boy, I was, you know, riding my bikes out to all the lakes, the Neshotas, Nesitas, Nababins, Pewaukees, and, and boy, we just spent our, our childhood out you know, fishing and walking shorelines and doing all kinds of things like that. So uh, it was pretty early. I knew I was hooked and hooked pretty bad. So, um, you know, when I really got serious um, I had a friend, and some of you guys might still, this name might be uh, um, uh, relevant, um, Steve Milliat, who was a guide in um, the M- Milwaukee area, and he guided in Sturgeon Bay and, and Beta Knot quite a bit. Um, he and I worked together at, at our my, my first professional job, and um, boy, we started fishing all those same lakes and do all doing all kinds of crazy stuff, speed trolling for northerns and doing some night maneuvers on on all those uh, the Waukesha, Waukesha County lakes. Um, and S- Steve went on and he was doing his guiding, and um, we we had a few years where I was starting a, starting a new family, so I was pretty busy. But in, I think it was around 1993 or so, um, I got back in the boat with him up in Sturgeon Bay. 
and um the the trolling that he was doing then um was really something brand new and i i think wisconsin should credit him for sort of revitalizing what was um sort of a hidden gem up in sturgeon bay and that was basically long lining long line trolling in that in that area so after a night out with steve up there i was hooked and and uh my family was my family time was a little more <laughs> split up after that um so really f since that point on you know i've i uh took a lot of time in perfecting what steve taught me and and what i learned there and really fine-tuning the idea of longline trolling and, and fishing at night. Um, and I've basically been fishing the Betanoc and Sturgeon Bay um, areas for about over 35 years. And so that was taking friends. Um, I wasn't guiding, but I was guiding. I was taking friends and showing them the ropes each and every time I went out. And I got better and better and better. And um, the there came a time. So I also have a, had a career, a professional career in, in um, design. Uh, I worked at Northwestern Mutual for uh, 32 years. And spending my time fishing, you know, just like everyone else where you squeak as, you, know, you squeak a few uh, weekends in here and there. Um, there came a moment where I was retired early and I had this, I had a, I had a real moment, right? So what am I going to do? I could continue to work or I could do what I've been thinking about doing for a long time, which is doing some guiding myself. And we have a place up North that's in uh, Northern Oneida County. And I have been trolling up there at night for years and years and years. It was just another area where I was doing that and taking friends out and taking family out. And I thought, my, my, in 2018, the Wisconsin DNR, right, there was a huge change where they, um, they allowed us, uh, Wisconsin anglers, to now troll in northern Wisconsin. So that had that had been something that was totally um, not in our uh, in our wheelhouse. We could not do that. And once that happened, I I wondered. I thought to myself, Hey, could I take all that treasure trove of knowledge and apply it up here? Apply it in Vilas County, in in Oneida County, in those deep, clear, cold lakes that have walleyes that are really tough to catch um, if your only technique is uh, jigging or, or something like that. And it turns out it was a really viable option. So I put my shingle out, started uh, to do some guiding, and it's really taken off quite spectacularly. But it's this idea that um, these fish, these walleyes, they behave similar and in, in all in in no matter where we are and interestingly nighttime trolling um is a technique that is it takes some time to learn it's a very challenging way to fish it's uh it's not everyone's cup of tea that's for sure it definitely um is some find it just outright terrifying many find it at least a little spooky <laughs> and uh um having someone to um help others sort of get get their get comfortable doing it and showing them that this is really a technique that's super viable has been really fun it's been really rewarding um so that's kind of where you know from the playing around um fishing at night just trolling as kids to doing this now that's sort of how that how that emerged i mean do you ever just like self-reflect on it and just feel like you know maybe 
you know, or like, like, why do you love trolling at night so much? Yeah. So Taylor, you know, you can't deny the moment, the moments we all have on the water, right? Those just, those just breath, the breathtaking time where there's either something special happening weather-wise, um, the, the sun, the, just the clouds, the, just the environment is just, is breathtaking and spectacular. Um, those, those happened for me too, during the day, just like everyone else. Um, but was, but something that's equally interesting is the breathtaking quiet, the experience of fishing at a time when, when you're not supposed to be fishing, <laughs> let's just call it that, right? You're, you're doing the opposite and it turns out it really might be what more of us should be doing more often. And then there's not, there's no denying, right? The great things, experiences that we have during the day, the things that, that happen at night are equally spectacular and, and are um, sort of transformative, really the, the ability for you to um, hear, you know, you're using your, a different set of senses, more um more intensely right your your um your sense of sight is a little more limited but your sense of hearing is much more acute you're really in tune with everything because you have to be you have to be safe you have to know where everything is um you have to of course be um um be super sensitive of everything happening in the boat and everyone's safety um, but the, sh- the, the sounds and the, the, uh, the activities at night, it's, it's just insanely cool. There's, I've no- there's nothing like it. Yeah. Like some of our memories that stick with us the longest, there's just a, a romantic thought of, you know, recreating those memories or, or, you know, or just, it, it really, yeah, it just really sort of embeds itself in the fabric of who we are as anglers, our past experiences. And I, yeah, I, I think that, uh, I think this is going to be a super interesting conversation about night trolling with you, because I think that you are definitely, it's definitely a passion of yours. I think that's super important in these conversations. And, um, and you've definitely done enough of it in a cool body, you know, cool place in the world. I think your perspective is, is, uh, is solid that, um, you know, this day and age, there's, you know, with all the new technology and everything that we have, we're realizing more and more fishing opportunities, whether it's a different pattern or some fish are living or doing a thing that we didn't know before. And that's all species of fish. And I think it's, it's, we're, we're identifying fishing opportunities at a faster pace than people are coming into fishing. And so it's almost like spreading people out a little bit in a good way. And, you know, talking about that night bite deal, I can only imagine how many times, you know, you're guiding now in the summer, like how many times you're out there guiding, having, you know, success after success and catching big fish, which we're going to talk about. And you're the only boat on the lake. Yeah. It's just me. It's just me. It's crazy. Oh man. That is wild. I I think this is a more widespread thing. I think, I think where you're at is, is I'm really glad that we're talking, we're going to talk about this from where you are in the world, like geographically. But I think that there's, I think that there's a lot of night fishing. More and more fishermen should be doing this. You know, and I, things that, and Taylor, things that happen at night are, are very, very memorable. Um, even more so than a day than the daytime because it's just it's sort of steeped in the, the mystery and the lure of that. Um, I'll just tell you one quick story. So it, I don't know if you remember in the day when when everyone had marine radios. That was before cell phones were. Oh yeah, uh, so, so prevalent. Um, well, there was one night out on the water, and I was solo, um, and I'm I'm trolling along. And I'm positioned at that time. I was positioned um, on a, a kicker. That was before. I, right now, I use my trolling, my bow mount trolling motor. It's much quieter. Um, but I'm on my kicker, and and that makes that sound right. Yeah. It's just got regular plop 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 cadence. But I heard this weird splash in between the motor running, 
And I didn't think much about it. I thought well, it was just a cavitation air bubble kind of a thing. And then it was two hours later, I started to see shapes, like like movement and shapes up on the front of the boat. And of course, it's dark out. It's and it's almost pitch black. But there's I saw a darker sh- shade of black <laughs> than I than I expected to see. You get you know you have yeah a like bit a of silhouette or something you know. Yeah, and you have a little bit of light, of course. Everyone, you know, you've got your your transom uh, uh, light, and there's some lights on board, but it's still pretty dark. And um, so I started seeing a shadow moving around in the boat, and well, the hair just stood on my on on end, and I reeled in real quick, and <laughs> I grabbed the net and I walked towards the front of the boat, and it turns out a muskrat had jumped in my boat right next to me. And was just looking around. It jumped over, yeah, in, in that little cutout by the transom. And it had basically free reign on my boat for an hour and a half or so. Oh, my gosh. And, um, yeah, so that was. You're not you know, going to have that experience during the day. <laughs> no, you're not going to have that during the day. And I didn't have a radio handle at that time. But after that, I sure did. Of course, and of course, you can guess what that might be. It's my, It was muskrat after that point. Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. Oh man, that's hilarious, man. That's hilarious. So I don't have any personal experience particularly with this. So do we talk about, you know, just some of the preparation and maybe some of the, you know, what, what you kind of got to be prepared for before we really get into fish patterns? Or do you want to talk fishing right away, man? No, I'll, I'll sort of no, pass it on to you. Let's talk about, um, so first things first, right? So it's, you have to have the right set up and you have to the boat the boat's got to be prepped for this you kind of have to have things that in in a and structured so that it's going to work for you for this technique and so the first thing first and foremost would be um do i have a, a baumont trolling motor okay so and then if it right yes check then how is it, how are you controlling it right so that would be is it a foot pedal that's not you know that that's that can work some of those foot pedals have really long cords so you can actually use the foot pedal you can use it by hand if you can put it on your lap or something like that or on a, a seat in front of you and you're just basically moving you know the right and left toggle buttons to you know to change the orientation of the um, the trolling motor and therefore the boat. So um, that works for that. More and more of us now have right the key fob, and that works even better, right? So you have this thing that you can hold in your hand, or for me, I have it secured in a way that I can reach and 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 change the the direction of the the motor really easily. So that's really that's really important. Along with the having the trolling motor working, it's working for you. Um, it's doing something really important, which is it's pulling the bow in the direction you want to go. So um, pushing the boat from the back and trying to make fast turns is it just it doesn't work. In the, the old days, that's all we had. Um, but if you can move that bow, really quickly and and follow a contour or move it in a in a, a way that in a, in a direction that's number one safe and and keeping holding a depth you're going to be able to do that really quickly with a bow on um another thing I'm, I'm talking a lot about the bow mount but you know what it's super super critical another thing that's that i think is critical is having something on the top of the bow mount that helps you know where it's pointed. So, so in the old days, I used to just um, uh, electrical tape um, a um, a glow stick, like so. And those are you know narrow and long, and just you take that and orient it a long way. So whenever the the bow mount changed, you could at least go, okay, I changed it a tiny little bit i saw it move and then i'm seeing the depths and everything sort of reinforcing all that that uh, information um so that's number one 
you're using the bow mount and it is it is your the boat is actually a giant tool that is putting your bait in the position that it needs to be in interestingly right um the second thing on the boat is of course your sonar and your gps if you can be getting information if your sonar feed if the transducer is underneath the is integrated into the bow mount that's ideal so getting that sonar information from the bow mount means you're getting the the most current information versus from a transom that's old information but that uh, sonar data from the bow mount is then super valuable because you're making those those decisions based on exactly what's under the bow where your bait is going to be you know a minute later or something like that um gps of course is really critical i i have i'm i'm looking at both my sonar feed and gps the gps everyone <laughs> this is fascinating i know i know everyone understands this the idea that we all pay a pretty penny to get these maps and only to find out they're they're great they're they're indispensable but they're not perfect and when you are running let's say your i like to run at 16 feet by the way everyone this, this is no secret here um 15 16 feet is ideal because you're you're never going to stay on that depth but you're never if you but if you if you sort of pick that number you're going to end up in 18 and 12 sometimes and that's that's perfect if you try to pick a number that's too shallow like well the fish are in at 12 well if you run at 12 you're also going to end up at in six feet oh yeah and, right and 10's and great 10's fine um but you're going to end up following your baits and maybe probably losing a bait or two so this idea of the gps though um you you kind of have to reconcile yourself that it's not perfect the only perfect information you're getting is what's coming up from your sonar um and you're going to find out like oh that this map is off here it's it's okay over here but it's off over here and here and here and then you have your tracks that you establish to sort of reuse as you might run a piece of, of structure over and over again if it's a you know, a good piece of structure. Yeah, those are the biggies. I mean, definitely being organized is one of those. Oh like, my heavens! Yeah, tell me that little sales pitch on your behalf. I mean, not, you're you're not only just fishing at night, but you're guiding. You have people that are new to you; they're unfamiliar with your boat. I would love to hear some of that lessons learned. You know, a, a clean boat is a godly boat. <laughs> so you you can't have stuff all over the place. It has to be super, super um, uh, organized and tidy. Otherwise, clients are going to be, you know, getting hooks in their clothes or, right, if stuff's out, they're tripping on things. Um, it's super important that um, you just have everything as organized as possible because, you know, when you get a fish going then, um, everything gets a little messy right then and there and just moving bodies around um so you can net fish it's um you know you don't want to have people tripping over tackle boxes and stuff like that um and absolute and everyone is absolutely wearing a light jacket that's just there's just no two ways of, about that it's just yeah. too dangerous and dark i just want to reinforce how important that is the fishing opportunities in Northeast South Dakota's Glacial Lakes region are phenomenal. You've heard us talk about it on the JMO podcast before. It's a multi-species destination. We're not just talking walleyes or perch in the wintertime. This is, uh, there's phenomenal pan fishing. There's a uh, fantastic bass fishing. There's muskies and big Northern pike. Everything's there with hundreds of lakes and a bunch of communities that offer all kinds of fun events and lodging for information on this area and the fishing opportunities 
here, head to sdglacialakes.com. You'll see the link is in the description of this podcast. On there, you're going to find all the resources that you need to research. Or if you feel like you're already familiar with the fishing opportunities there and you already plan your annual trip, if you're not checking out this website and the information on it, then you're leaving some on the table. Head to sdglacialakes.com. You're going to find the lodging opportunities. You're going to see maps of the area. You click on the fishing tab. It's going to showcase some of the great fishing opportunities in that area. From there, you can look up the local guide services or the bait shops. That's where you're going to find the real-time fishing reports that you need when you're looking ahead and planning on one of these trips. So, again, if you want to plan your next fishing adventure, consider Northeast South Dakota's Glacial Lakes region. Head to sdglacialakes.com for all that great information. The link is in the description of this podcast. I was thinking about this. I was sort of scheming for this conversation and I started to kind of write down a couple of, I don't know, I kind of had some little questions about efficiencies and then I got to thinking, I was like, my super pointed questions all kind of said the exact same thing and it's really just like efficiency is an important thing with trolling any time, anywhere, any place, wherever, but at night, you know, you're just burning, you know, you're just burning up time probably twofold because to be careful and to be safe, you know, for everybody in the boat, it's important to take your time. But if you're not efficient with your stuff and your organization, you're just going to burn up way too much time. You're not going to have lines in the water. There's just a lot going on there. I mean, you know, so you, you, you know, you've said it, well, you've said it better than I can Taylor. That's, that's perfect. Um, I might, I might add this, you know, so I was talking about the boat but now, like, we're part of this, the fishermen are part of this machine. We're actually an extension of the boat. And where, where we're positioned is really important. So, you know, and everybody, just to reinforce, we're talking about long line trolling. And we'll, we'll talk more about the specifics of, of that. Now, so if you imagine, like, if we were talking about trolling with boards, everyone gets it, right? These you know, you've got the rod holders or their stackers. Mine, mine are basically um, some some side um, uh, rod holders that that I find really handy. Um, but the individuals yourself and where you're positioned in the boat is maybe something to talk about real quickly as well. Oh yeah, I'd so, love that. So I have so my boat's set up so that. Um, I can take like, you know, you know how most boats have a casting deck, right? It's got a butt seat up there, up on the bow. Oh yeah. Um, I actually have two butt seats and I put those back in the, um, uh, the, the well, right? So the, the area towards the back of the boat where there's, uh, where there's a, a slot for another, for like another set of seats. Those go there, and then people can have sort of that three-point stance, and they're in, they're towards the back of the boat. And um, if there's if there's three people fishing, there's a rod out on the on the port side, a rod on, a rod on the starboard, and then one right out the back over over the uh, over the main motor. And it gives everyone sort of the ability to stand and lean against something and get that three point stance. Um, if, if someone wants to sit, of course they can, but standing puts you in a position to do, to react. And you've got the lot, you've got the rod, you're sort of holding it really um, taller. Um, it gives you a chance to do a little bit of a sweep when you get a, um, when you tag a fish um, and your position to just be ready to start, you know, uh, fighting a fish. Um, so with that in mind, everyone, the I have a little station which has a holder for a key, um, the uh, trolling motor control. And that control is re- it's sort of locked in place. Um, and then I also have an, a GPS sonar unit on basically both sides of the boat so of course everyone has one by the steering console but i also have one on the other side and i can use either one for for that kind of a sort of you know just being in the position 
and especially in this when the water starts warming up everybody the these um the hits from the uh the 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 bites on a long line troll they're lightning fast those fish are often as as you get closer to um late spring early summer and into summer those fish <laughs> you would not believe how fast walleyes attack when that water warms up they are <laughs> they're they're like lightning and they probe and they'll 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 push on the back of the bait they they're curious they do they'll nip it really fast and and if you're standing you're just able to connect just to kind of react much much faster than if you're sitting down and the rod tip might be up a little bit like how do you how do you do a sweep on that right right i like it we're painting the picture here we're talking about night trolling like all night long line trolling um, you know, we've got, you know, the organization and the efficiency conversation started and uh, we're running with a bow mount. We'd like to be discreet. Everything's quiet. Um, you're using, you know, you're using different senses. I, I love all of it because I think that's a big part. It, the experience of it is a big part of it. Uh, understanding and valuing the whole journey of it all, I think, is a big is a big deal into, you know, whether or not somebody ought to be considering you know, trying something out like this if they've never done it wherever they're from. But a lot of these post-spawn females, you know, this, if this is when they're putting the feed bag back on, if this is one of the, this is like, might be your best chance. If you can figure it out, might be your best chance to target these big females this time of year. Let's just talk about it. How do you break down water and how do you figure out your plan of attack and execute it? I mean, why don't you just kind of go over the whole deal? Okay. So uh, let me just reinforce this idea, um, everyone, that um, this technique is ideal for lakes that are clear to moderately clear are deeper right that might not um have weeds set up um yet or if they do they're um still like i've been on deep clear lakes and in the summer the wall or the the weeds are you know the weeds are the weed edges are the structure and the, and the weed edges are in like 22 feet and and it's a it's a just a column of of weed wall um but then there's other lakes that are you know just a little more normal they might have some cabbage um or just emergent cabbage uh, more often than not it's that that's it's uh, it's, there's not much there yet. You're looking for that kind of ideal lake, clear, moderately clear, lakes with deeper structure, and lakes that do have some some structure. So this is not a great technique if it's a big sand bowl. They're not. There's nothing for the fish to set up on. But if there is some kind of structure, you've got rock and sand transition, or you've got some marl. And a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of bigger riprap or, or, or rock, and maybe even some boulders in there. Um, this is a this is a ideal technique to use because those fish, um, those post spawn fish in those settings, they're going to be using that shoreline structure for a while yet, and they are, and and even actually the into the summer. Even a, a, a fish, who, uh, the walleyes that are out there in the basin, maybe chasing uh, ciscos or other bait fish balls, they'll creep into the um, into structure, the, uh, the edges um, during the night sometimes as well, even really late, late, late into summer. But for sure, post-spawn, let's say the, the first six weeks, seven weeks after a spawn, those fish, they do tend to relate to the structure before they move on to the basins. So, like I said earlier, think about what you're what you're doing is you're you're focusing on following the structure, the edge of a structure. And if you think about like a specific contour depth, and I'm I, I like to target 15 to 16 feet. Um, that sort of puts your baits in just the right position, you know, to be somewhat near the the bottom where the walleyes are, 
but never making contact with the bottom. You don't want to lose any baits. Um, God, God knows I've done enough to learn that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. And those, those fish are, are, they're sort of hanging out there waiting to ambush, um, whatever's, whatever's hanging around and they'll move around those edges. So I'll use those, um, those contours as little, like little mini highways to move around the lake. Do you feel like you're seeing fish on electronics in some way, shape, or form? Are you leveraging your electronics to see fish or to see structure a specific way, or is it more your fishing structure and, it, and it's you know getting in tune with your mapping, you know, and the contours themselves? That's a really yeah, that's a really good question. The it's it's really it's really encouraging to see a few fish as you're trolling because then you, you know, everything's setting up nice. There are nights where you're catching fish, but you're not seeing them. And I, I can't necessarily ex- explain that either, but more often than not, when you know, you're getting that, you're seeing a few fish under with your sonar, it's sort of reinforcing, okay, this is good. This is a good piece of structure. I'm seeing a lot of what I want to be seeing here. Um, you know, sort of that reinforces that you're in the right spot at the right time. And then, you know, the proof is in the pudding though, right? Am I putting some, getting some fish in the net here? And there can be times where you do not see them. They might be in a little shallower and then they move out and they, they, you know, they more likely hear your bait um, than see it. Um, or they're out a little deeper and they swing in. We haven't really talked a ton about bait selection. I mean, talk a little bit about bait selection. We should, we, we, I could do an episode on this. What works best for long line trolling are suspending crank, crank baits. Um, you know, what you're doing in the deep, deep summer over um, basin fish, you're using some other techniques, including crankbaits, but not exclusively like you're doing in that this sort of this uh, post-spawn kind of window. But, you know, I know everyone's got boxes of these things, right? Um, the original Smithwicks, um, uh, Rattle and Rogues, right? And now you got perfect ten- Smithwick, perfect tens. Everyone has the Husky Jerks, the 14s. Um, the uh i've got boxes of um lucky crafts uh pointers hundred uh, hundreds i think they're called um these are all great baits and they all come um they come out of a box and on the box it says suspended they're suspending suspending baits and they're kind of they actually sometimes you might actually might get one that actually truly suspends. Um, But I wouldn't recommend doing the long line technique with a a floating uh, crankbait or a sinking crankbait. Like starting with something that says suspending on the box, even though they're not quite there yet, you have to actually doctor those and and, and mess with them to get them to that point. Um, Those are the kind of baits you want to use. And the, the, um, now we get into this idea of like, okay, so you got these, these basic crankbaits, now how far back, right? That's a, probably, a, you know, the next question on, on something like that. And so if you want to think of the fact that the boat, let's just put the boat in the ideal scenario. The boat's moving. Um, let's say 1.2, 1.2 miles an hour. The boat's in 16 feet of water. I have a Husky Jerk 14 on the inside. So that's the, that's the rod that's sticking out towards shore. And the rod is has some length to it. So it's actually going to be probably in 14, 13 feet. Imagine if this is a fasting break, a fast break of breaking piece of structure. And then the one on the deeper side is probably in 17, 18 feet. So for that 14, I might be running just seven, 70 feet uh, back, 
from the rod tip. And if I have that same bait on the deep side, I might be at 90 feet. But what I like to do is, you know, tailor the baits for the sides of the boat that I'm fishing on so that uh, a Smithwick Perfect 10, if it's perfectly suspending, will actually actually go at 12, maybe even 13. Um, that's a great bait for that outside, and I might only go 80 feet on that. Um, and then if you have more than two people in the boat, right? What is, let's say you have a third, um, and the, the, the third is someone who's going to actually have to take a, uh, a rod tip. That's going to be maybe pointed just over the top of the main, your main motor, right? So it's right off the center of the boat can't be low so it has to be tip the tip is a little bit higher and then that there's a lot of line that doesn't get really used it's not in the water so a bait like needed for the center um ideally might be something that is like a baby um 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 a reef runner but like a junior something that you know, runs 20 feet deep is a little on the smaller side, but maybe that's just running 55 feet or 50 feet back. And that's going to be in, in the right position, but it's going to bite. Right? It's going to grab water really fast and get down to, to a depth. And um, so a setup like that is really, really effective, right? So a shallower running bait on the inside, slightly deeper on the outside and maybe a little more aggressive a bait with much less line out running right over the uh the um right over your main motor and what that lets you do is it it those when the when you do some sharp turns those baits will never run into each other especially if you've got that that one over the um right right over the center right right in the middle of the boat Right, that's a short line, so that's not going to get tangled and mess and you know create a mess with any of the other baits there. Um, so you know the one thing, Taylor, we haven't talked about the the secret sauce of long line trolling. Do you know what that is? Speed. I'm just guessing. Oh, uh, did you say speed? I said speed. Okay. Well, you know you're right but it's probably not going to be right in the way that you were thinking. So the secret sauce is what happens in ideal conditions when you're like, let's say we're trolling with boards, right? And we got a great walleye chop. It's like, you know, not too much. Nice. Maybe they're, you know, one and a half or one and a quarter footers and they're, they're pushing the bait forward. And then there's a little, then there's a little slow period in the, in the cadence because the, the boards are sort of surging and, 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 and slowing down. In long line trolling, you have the ability to uh, pulse the bait, to pull it forward a little bit. And that, that little pull is like you controlling what a planer bar would do, but in a much more deliberate way. Like you never know what that board's going to be doing. Like that's why we hate flat calm because nothing's, you know, it's it just makes it that much more difficult. Actually, I pull the lines when my when it's flat calm and make the board surge. Um, but in long lining, you want everyone to be doing small little pulls, like say moving the rod tip forward three or four inches. And then you, and then walking that rod tip back and you want, when you do that little pull, you want to feel that resistance and even hopefully just a little bit of flutter on that bait. So, I'll, so you get this sort of a, brrr, you know, where, where the bait is actually oh, yeah, a know, little surge, it's, a little speed a little, change. The, yeah. The surge and also a little, you know, there's a change in the vibration. There's a change in the speed. There's a change in the rattle sound inside the baits. There's, you know, more like a quicker water displacement all happening right around the bait. Um, and then it's on the pause. That's when you, 
the bait always gets hit on the pause. They never hit it when it's surging forward. And when I say surging, uh, it's not a big pull, everyone. It's just a, a real small little, um, just a little movement with the rod tip. You don't want to overdo it. And so you basically are doing that technique all, all the time you're, you're long lining. And, and some people are, like I have friends are like, I do the like a triple tap. It's pull, pull, pull. And I do a single, like every, I, I randomly, you know, it's every two seconds. And then, then there's a five second pause. And then I do it every two seconds. And, you know, you vary it up. So that's the way I do it. Some people go a double tap, you know, and that beat sort of has a, and then there's some, it's just, like slightly moving. And so those are really strong triggers for those fish. And they will, while I, as we know, we all know this, but they're so curious. They will, um, they will follow that bait with a lot of curiosity. And when just that right pulse or surge um, hits, you know, does something for them, it triggers them. And um, it's kind of magical, really quite, really quite uh, remarkable how that all works how important is it to stay close to the bottom with your lures you know oh that's such a great question because my early years oh i spent so much time thinking that was important because we mark these fish like when i see the fish there's one on the bottom right it's like oh i gotta get that bait down no we've heard this over and over and we it's drilled into us but we we so often forget it, right? Those eyes are on the top of the head or near the top of the head, right? They will lift themselves off the bottom and come up and, and chase your bait. If they're, if they're curious and that, that pulsing, that, that tends to get them, number one, curious for sure. And so you'll lift some fish um, off of structure, away from structure, off of the bottom, and definitely from the sides as well. They could be off the. They could be on the bottom and a, and off to the side of where your bait is, and they'll still they'll they'll lift off, and then they'll come in and investigate. How do you decide how fast you want to go? Okay, that's it's a nuanced question. So I have some rules where if the water is really like I was just up in Sturgeon Bay, the water was forty. 40 degrees it warmed up so fast this weather is crazy um but in but at 40 degrees i was like think i was around 1.1 or one mile an hour if the water is really really cold i don't i don't mind slowing down to like 0.9 miles an hour or even 0.8 so early, early in the spring, if I can get out when the ice has just literally left the lake and I can get out fishing on a body of water where I can do that, um, I'll fish super slow because they, you know, they <laughs> it's cold water. It makes a difference. What would you consider to be like the ideal day? If you could just like build the the hypothetical ideal night to be out trolling, like where would that be on the calendar? What, what would that all look like weather-wise? And then sort of contrast it with like the worst day. There's one other aspect of this, of speed that is, that's really important. I'd like to, um, I'd like to, I'd like to share this, that, in the summer or when things start to warm up, let's imagine we're seeing water temps that are now for uh, 55, right? And now 65. So we're starting to head into um, late spring, early summer. The reality is, is this technique of running uh, at, a, at a specific depth, holding a certain count, uh, contour line, let's say that 15, 16 feet, you know, it's not a straight line. It's all over the place. And that bow mount is helping us, right? It's helping us stay on course, so to speak, or staying as close to that depth. But you can't, um, some people who might troll in other conditions, 
they might be comfortable with two and a half miles an hour, uh, and and that and it works for them. It the, like if you're out in a basin trolling with boards, I, I do it too. But if you're gonna try, if you're gonna run contours and try to go fast, it's gonna mess everything up. You can't, you you just can't have the level of control that you need with your boat but and you're still going to catch fish at um i i like i like 1.4 as a target in the as it starts and the water warms up if anything faster and you're overshooting and un, um all your marks you're you're messing up you're ending up too shallow the boat cannot keep up with that speed so especially if you've got a lot of like inside turns. And- yeah, I think that's actually a really good point because I'm like, I'm thinking back to the very little limited amount of of boat control that I've ever tried to, you know, operate on myself after dark. And it's unbelievable how not being able to see the shore or the sky or the weeds or whatever, it's yeah, unbelievable yeah. how difficult it is to anticipate a turn when it's supposed to happen and we probably don't even realize we probably think that you know we're so good at the electronics but man your the senses that you know the, the the your environment that you're taking in to anticipate a turn on time after dark oh my gosh you're basically just watching you're watching that map you're hoping that you're ready for it and that the uh you know, when, when the depth starts to change. So yeah, I think that's a phenomenal point. I, I don't, I, I think that's very you true. You get better with practice. Um, and, and the more you, if you're familiar with sort of those ideal spots on the lake where you want to try this, right. Then you start to get that muscle memory of, Oh yeah, yeah. this is, I got this turn coming up. I can see it on the GPS. I can kind of start to anticipate. So, yeah. Yeah. So totally. what, was your, what was your, <laughs> yeah, your you know, I kind of wanted question. to talk about, yeah, yeah. Like I, I kind of want to talk about sort of like those hypothetical scenarios of good conditions versus tougher conditions or, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, the yeah. tougher day right. because, you know, I, I think and I'm not a, I'm trying not to assume too much here, but, you know, a lot of night uh, fishing we talk about. I've talked about it with the musky guys, of course. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and the very few conversations that I've had in the wild with, you know, the night bites and stuff like that, you know, it's a. It, there's a lot of uh, yeah. moon phase conversations. There's a lot of oh, clear skies, clouded skies. That so, is so where we're going. So, I mean, and, and it's great. It's sort of like, all right, I'm, I'm game. I'll, 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 I'll take a swing at this idea. Um, so, what I would recommend, and, and I know a lot of your listeners, they're, they're going to be the same kind of people that, like me. I have a Navionics app, right? I also have. Um, um, a Solunar app, right? The one oh, yeah. that helps me, you know, map out the moon phases. So th- they do matter, everyone. <laughs> so use that. It's 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 um, insanely valuable um, for <laughs> any fishing that you're going to do. Um, as a matter of fact, so I, we were just in, up in Sturgeon Bay. It's is this was the only weekend that I was just up there this last weekend. It was the only weekend I could go. We've got things going on in family wise, and um, it was the poorest moon cycle I've ever fished in purposely. And it turns out it was a tough weekend. Um, just reinforcing that idea that the moon phase matters, and if you're gonna um, like invest in a technique that sort of puts you at a, um, on a learning curve, right? And kind of an intense one. If you do this for the first time or maybe the first couple of times, it gets easier and you sort of settled in, settle in, of course. But you want to set yourself up for success. So, of course, you're watching the weather. You, you know, if I in an ideal setting, it's like, okay, well, we're going to have some there's a nice breeze tonight. It's not going to die off and become perfectly calm. And the moon phase is setting up. Great, right? So use that moon phase information for your planning, right? Um, and then more specifically, and this is this is real, you know, on those apps, right, we have the majors. And you have your minors, your moon rise, moon, moon set, 
sunrise, sunset. Those are nice, right? We're going to have a sunset. If you got that one, check. But try to um, um, try to find a moon phase that's somewhat near the the dark of the moon or the the full moon, but a, a moon phase where the major is kind of in the sweet spot, right? So it's in that the the heart of when you're you're going to be at your best fishing at night. So like imagine in this, let's say it's June late June and the sun doesn't set till what 8:15 something like that so you're going so you've got a nice um maybe a little sunset bump and then you're looking at the moon phase and and um moon over uh, underfoot is right maybe starting at 9 and that's a 3 hour window right so from 9 to midnight is your major you're really sort of lining up everything to your advantage, which is, hey, I've got the sunset bump. There's, there's, it's for real, right? We all know it. They get a little active, and then the major is set up that three-hour window around the exact, you know, the apogee of a moon overhead, moon underfoot. You're optimizing the best of that, and you're not missing. You're not putting yourself in the best position. Um, if you're, you know, if you pick another time, let's say, well, I'm, you know, well, that the moon over underfoot is at, is at 2 a.m. And I'm not staying out that late. Well, then you're not there for when, for when that happens. So those are some things you can do just, you know, on your phone, kind of setting up your, your trip, right? Like, when do I want to try this? And you put all those things in position. We can't control weather. I I never fish in the rain, not at night. Actually, I don't do it during the day either. Some people do, but you, I, I would encourage everyone not to fish at night if it's raining. It's just too. It's just too much. I, it's so helpful because I, you know, I think for some of us like myself that probably hasn't done enough of this to really formulate my own you know, opinions over my own experience, but I'm just looking at all this and I'm kind of consuming it. Like being able to converse with you, you know, and, and just sort of, you know, hear you explain it is just so, you know, I mean, it just, it just, it paints the picture so well for me. And I feel like, I mean, this, this is something, you know, even just sort of researching and finding you and, and, and preparing for this show is so much of my own interest. I, I definitely feel like some night trolling and specifically long lining, long line trolling is just, I think it's a fun thing. I think, I think a, a big, uh, you know, an, a, a big walleye bite with a long line rod in hand, but yes. is, is it. Yeah, that I can There's honestly like say, it. yeah, I, for whatever reason, hand combat and you feel it and you've earned it. Right. I mean, I love, I love trolling with boards. Don't get me wrong, but there's something to like, you are, you know, just like when you're jig fishing or you're putting all that hard work, you're sort of projecting yourself into that water space and what that lure is doing at exactly all those moments and and long line trolling is something very very similar you you are you know when you get a, a smash on your bait and by the way it's like even a smaller walleye they hit these baits like a baseball bat there's nothing quite yeah, like they it. hit it to kill crazy. it crazy yeah they hit it to kill it right time wise we just don't have time to start on any other part of this and we'll have to do it again at some point in time but i really enjoyed this and Thanks, um but yeah let's wrap this up why don't you just you know promote yourself a little bit anything you got anything you know where people can reach out to you if they have a question or if they want to check out your offerings at your guide service uh, or any other content that you want to promote go ahead yeah sure so um you can reach me uh my cell number is 262 262- 707-7640 or you could find me my website is uh, nightbitefishing.com you can uh, look me up there and uh, there's uh, access to um, some of the articles I've, I've written about this topic 
Um, I'm also open. I've done some presentations to clubs. If that's something that, um, if anyone listening is interested in, you know, I know as as someone who's been a president and the vice president of fishing clubs, we're always looking for uh, people to come and present. So that's something I might be interested in doing as well. And, and Taylor, thanks so much for the invite. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Well, we'll be in touch and I'll let you go for real this okay. time. Take care. Bye-bye now. Later. Later. Later.